chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Father, we come before you with this amazing text of what it is to be in the body of Christ. Father, the privilege, but Father, also the priority. And the Father... Uh, so many uh, here in this country take it for granted it's not important. And yet I, I look around and see the disunity that has existed since the fall and say the disunity should stay out of the church. Father, we love you. May we hunger and thirst for your righteousness and hunger and thirst for your word. And Father, may we allow it to master each of us individually as fathers, we come together collectively. Father, we love you and we thank you in Christ's name. I'm dealing with a section that I call the unity of the body. And we're in a part, verses 11 and 12, on the alienation apart from Christ. I see this a lot of times. I see people who were raised in the church, maybe generational and then all of a sudden, they, you know, they're involved. They do the missions trips, they vacation Bible school, they serve and all the rest of it. And then at some point, all of a sudden the light comes on and they start understanding their salvation. And you say, well, what were they doing up until then? Following the orders. Okay. But there's a difference between following a bunch of rules and regulations and submitted to Christ. Okay, the submission to Christ is he's my master. He guides me. I don't do it based on my convenience or what I think my talent is or what I'm capable of. And that's the difference. The problem is, is that today a lot of people don't understand even what the church is for. We will deal with that in, in four, five and six. But. What we need to be aware of is that we come together in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the authority of the scriptures to strengthen one another for our individual and collective work of ministry. And that's missing in a lot of churches today. A lot of people think that the church is where you go get saved. Now, listen. You can get saved in church. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't get saved in church. Well, in some churches, I don't know if you can get saved, but you can get saved in church. All right. I'm not, I'm not against that. All right. That's, that's, that's not what I'm trying to say. But the reason that the church is here is that your gifts strengthen me for my task. My gifts strengthen you for your task. 
I hope. All right. And as we get this information back and forth, you know, I had a friend of mine whose gift was almost a carbon copy of mine. But if you looked at the reaction of people between the two, you couldn't. It didn't seem right. I mean, I, my gift primary is prophetic. No, I don't tell the future. I can tell you the future. Revelations. Okay, now we got that out of the way. Okay, but I, I want you to understand that it is to proclaim it. Okay, you know, that's, that's what I tell people, that I will not go through the tribulation. I know that emphatically. Well, how do you know that emphatically? I'm not going to shut up. And during that time, they're going to kill people who share the gospel. I'll go up and knock on the Antichrist door. Surprise, it's me. I'm here to share my faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to make it. I know that. But I have other reasons too. But but I want you to understand that, that the, the body of Christ... If, if you, Paul, that, that illustration is phenomenal. If you think about your body, okay, every part has a purpose. Okay? Now there's some parts that you can get rid of. Your tonsils. I still haven't figured out what those are for other than to make doctors money. Okay? Appendix. Okay, they're saying, you know what, uh, you can, uh, I had a very dear friend of mine lost both legs in Vietnam. He still managed. He still, you know, he became a fireman. And he was one of the best ones. You know why? One of the things, if you go into a burning house, you're supposed to crawl. Everybody wants to walk. Guess what? We ain't got no legs. You, you run out of options. Okay, so he was always down low because the heat rises. All right. And he still managed. He still managed. He was he was it was astonishing. OK, but there's other parts of the body you can't do without. Try to live without your liver. OK. Now, you can get rid of one lung. OK, but you won't be running any marathons. All right. You can't exist without your brain, though. Some people act like it. All right. Your heart. I mean, you, you've got certain parts of you that you cannot forfeit. All right, there's other parts that you can. All right, the body of Christ is described that way. And I think about that, and I think, you know what? There's a whole bunch of people in the church who may or may not be doing what they're called to do. And the body seems dysfunctional at times. You know, the big thing in the, in the church anatomy today is that you get enough people sitting in the seats that I can hire a whole bunch of ministers to minister to the people who are sitting in the seats. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you're here and you're saved, you're already a minister. And all you need to do is grow in your faith of your understanding of what the Word of God says. But I told you last week, and I want to remind you this, too many times I think we forget where we came from. Okay, there are some who were raised in the church and they can look me in the eye and say, well, I never did anything that bad. Well, what you just did by saying that is awful. Okay, and you you can't do that. All right, you were a sinner. We've already looked at it in verse two. Right. You were dead. In your trespasses and sins. Okay. And I, and I shared with you, if you take the term dead, it cannot respond to any stimulus. So it didn't matter how good or how bad you were or were not. You still were dead. All right. And I think there's times that, well, I didn't do that many bad things. Really. I, that's the height of something that I would classify as arrogance. I mean, I can smile at you and say, I did a whole bunch of really bad things. But my salvation to me is no different than the salvation everybody in this room needed. Okay? There's times, you know, and I had a, a person one time tell me that the reason that I have so much fire for the word is that the depth of darkness that I was in. What well, good news for you? If you're dead in your trespasses and sin, there's no degree of darkness there. 
Okay? And that's what I want us to understand. Because before Christ, each and every one of us were separated from Christ. And if it was not for Him reaching into our souls, you would still be separated from Christ. Alienated apart from Christ. When I looked at it last week and I shared with you, if you look at the alienation apart from Christ, it's in two parts. One, it's social. Okay? Social is you're separated from God's people. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. He's talking to the Gentiles. Do you understand right now that if you are a believer, most of the world is separated from you? They couldn't understand. Remember when we was in uh, Corinthians? Natural man cannot understand the things of God. They can read their Bibles. They can watch the TV evangelist. But they don't have any understanding whatsoever. I've had in my ministry years dealing with what I call mixed marriages. Believer married to an unbeliever. Okay. And you see it over and over again. The believer wants the unbeliever to act righteous. And I remember making a statement in one situation that understand it will only be an act. I mean, lost people can do nice things, but it's still an act. It's still an act. And that's why you stay out of mixed marriages, because there's going to be two masters pulling on that house. And that makes all kinds of wonderful fun. And, you know, and then if you take it in the case of the woman is saved and the man ain't, she still has to submit to her husband. And that can that can get ugly. And yet I, I share these things because when we understand that we're separated from God's people, when you were a Gentile, you were an unbeliever. When you were there, you were separated from God's. I don't care how many times you went to church. I remember uh, my my cousin got married. Uh, this is gosh decades ago, and. Um, I wasn't saved. I knew I wasn't saved. I wasn't trying to be saved. No one interested in being saved. So we go to the marriage thing. And it's in this great big fancy Episcopal church. I mean, it's, gee whiz. You just, I mean, this thing's huge. And so, you know, I was doing the typical things that I did in that day and age. And all of a sudden we start doing this. And you have to, they had kneelers. I didn't even know what a kneeler was. They got any Kneelers. And so you got to get down on your knees and you pray. And you got to get back up and you do it. And you got to get down on your knees and you pray. I was wore out. I mean, this is the craziest thing in the world. I thought they were getting married. Why are you making me do all this? I ain't getting married. Okay? So that was one of the first things that I ever remember about a church service. And I kept thinking, you people are goofy. Do you do this every Sunday? Lordy be, you've got some strong thighs. There's no way I could do that. I never did understand that. And you know, and everybody says, well, why are you being so brutal? Well, I came here to celebrate a wedding, not to wear myself out. Why? Because, see, they're going through the motions. They're going through the motions. But I think in many of these cases, a lot of these people are still separated from God's people. They're alienated from Christ. But I shared with you last week that you have the social side of it, which, you know, another little footnote on that. Why in the world would I want to miss church? Because you, you've got two options. Hang out with those who are alienated from God or hang out with those who are his people. You've got two options. And listen, I understand some of God's people... I'll drive you nuts. Okay? But it doesn't matter. They're still God's people. And you know what? I guarantee you there are times that you drive Christ nuts. Okay? Probably on a regular basis. All right? So you run into some other Christians that will drive you nuts. You say, you know what? <laughs> it's no different than me. 
But the other side of this is spiritual. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time. Okay, what time is that? When you were socially alienated from his people and from Christ. You were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay. To me, verse 12 is the real alienation. Chapter 2, verse 1, dead in sin and trespasses. Okay. So if you go through just these five that Paul gives in verse 12, You sit there and you think, wow, man. I have a number of situations that I'm dealing with right now where the people are hopeless. I mean, they're completely hopeless. They have no hope. And you know why? They don't have Christ. They don't understand promises. All right? See, you and I, being Gentiles, before... Christ came into our lives, we were literally cut off from God. Okay? Do you realize you had no ability whatsoever to access God? I mean, you couldn't send Him an email. You couldn't text Him. You can pray. Everybody prays. Uh, That's the old saying, there are no atheists in a foxhole. But it doesn't mean nothing. Doesn't mean anything. You know, uh, I have had different instances when I got to spend some time in public housing. And it was amazing how many innocent people were in them buildings. Nobody was guilty in them buildings. Everybody was innocent. I was framed. I was set up. I was this. I was that. And I'm sitting there going, they asked me, they're like, no, man, I'm guilty of sin. Okay, but I knew if I got caught, I'll pay the band. You know, I'm going to dance. I'm going to pay. I understood that. But I listen to all these people because you go before the judge. The lawyer says, tell him not guilty. And I look at my lawyer and say, but I am. But just tell him not guilty. Well, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Not only am I guilty, now you want me to lie. Okay, that's what it means to be alienated from God. You spiritually cannot understand this stuff. You're literally cut off from God. You have no ability to grasp it. So there's five things that in this spiritual separation, spiritual alienation apart from Christ. Uh, I'll get through a few of them this morning. Okay. The first one, you see there in verse 12, separate from Christ. Okay. You were Christless. You were separate from Christ. When you hear the word Christ, understand that that's a Greek word. Okay? It's a Greek word for the Hebrew word that you know. Messiah. Okay? Both of those words mean the same. Whether it's Christ or Messiah. The Hebrew word is Messiah. The Greek word is Christ. You guys didn't know you were bilingual, did you? Son of a gun. Okay? It means anointed. God's anointed. God's Christ. God's Messiah. Alright? So, before Christ, you and I were separated from Messiah. Okay? Most Christians today said, well, you know, what's the big deal? Well, there's no messianic hope. Okay, you know what that means, right? There is no hope of a Savior. See, the Jews knew that Messiah was a Savior. Now, they're kind of twisted up about it, but depending on the line of Judaism you talk to, I I like to get information from these people when I run into them. And, you know, I, I remember I had a meeting with the uh, rabbi of the Temple Mound. And, you know, he, very nice guy, a wonderful, got a great sense of humor. He's from Brooklyn. Can you believe that? Anyway, so I asked him, explain to me Messiah. 
Who is Messiah? And he gave the, the general view that the liberal Jews get into that it's a messianic age. Okay? A messianic age is if you are in a time of plenty, then you are in a messianic age. If you're not, then you're not in a messianic age. If you're, you, if things just ain't going right, then you're not in a messianic age. And I said, well, but what do you believe? And he proceeded to explain to me the Messiah that he was looking for. You know who he described? To the T. The Antichrist of Revelations. And I was like, wow, man. Now, I didn't tell him that. I was in his country. <laughs> and I wanted to get out. All right? But that's what he described. A political figure who would bring peace. And I didn't have the heart to say, I said, well, you know, he's going to come in and stand in the temple and tell you guys he's God, right? You know that that's coming. But see, he don't believe that. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not crazy enough to be in Jerusalem and tell him that. All right. They are without a savior. They're expecting a savior. Had one Jew tell me, he says, well, I'm going to ask him this. Because I told him, I said, well, you know, Jesus was Messiah, but he's coming back. And he says, well, when I see him, I'm going to ask him. I said, is this your second time or your first time? I said, good luck with that. Good luck with that. There's no hope for a deliverer. Without Christ, without Messiah, there's no hope, there's no Savior, there's no deliverer. That's what you get without Christ. Okay? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Because this is who you're dealing with outside of these walls. Alright? That means that their history is headed nowhere. There's nothing to hope for. There's nothing to look forward to. I don't care if... You're Bill Gates and you got gazillions of money. Guess what? You're still going to die and you can't take it with you. All right? So there is no hope. I mean, okay, you got a yacht. You got a personal jet, private jet, whatever you want to do. Yeah, 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 right on. You better enjoy it because it's going to take eternity to pay for it. One of the reasons a lot of people stay away from quote-unquote religious things or things of God, you know why? They don't want an ultimate judge. That is the biggest reason. Now then, you're going to walk up to him and say, the ultimate judge is about to come down here and whoop you. Yeah, you'll win a lot of people that way. There is no reward for good. There is no punishment for evil. I told you guys that <laughs> I took a philosophy class when I got out of high school. And I took philosophy because you can't be wrong. <laughs> okay, so I, I did. I got straight A's in the thing. You can't you just come up with something, write it down on a piece of paper, and they go, oh, wow, that's really good. <laughs> I, just, I just made that up. You know that, right? Okay, but you couldn't. I, I thought, well, that's the perfect class for me. I was just... I'll become a philosopher. Yeah, that didn't work out so well. One of the group I read about were the Stoics. And they were hanging around a time. They come out of the Greek Empire. Okay? What a wonderful bunch of people. Boy, you, you know, uh, you know, I, people talk about, people are like Eeyore. Oh, me, oh, boy. And they just, everything's sad, sad. Dude, you got to go try to be a Stoic. Okay, a Stoic can make Eeyore look like Tigger. Alright? A Stoic believed that creation dissolved every 3,000 years. And then it cranked up again and started over. There was nothing left after 3,000 years. You got a 3,000 year time frame and then poof, it was all gone. It recreated itself and we're off and running again for 3,000 years. That was it. Okay? That is a very hopeless view of history, if you think about it. I mean, especially if you're born and you realize that you were born in 2,991. 
That means I got nine years and the thing's going in the trash can and we start over. I got robbed. But see, that's the view that a person without Christ has. They may not say it. But if you look at it, look at what they chase. They're chasing the temporal. Okay, let me have the riches. Let me have the party. Let me have the relationships. Let me have all that because I don't get anything else. I don't have a history in front of me. It's just going to come to an end. There is no reward. There is no punishment. So I better enjoy this thing as much as I can. You know what? I had lived half of my adult life. I lived that way. I Yeah, I believe there's a God. Why? I just couldn't get my head wrapped around that this is all an accident. It just, to me, it was like, what? You're telling me that boom and this came up? You know, I had played enough with fireworks to say, I don't think that works. Every time I make something go boom, it is disorderly. So anyway, I always believe there's a God. But then I, this is my philosophy. I told you I should have been a philosopher. God made all this for me to play with. And that's how I live my life. I was like the kid with the most toys. They're everywhere. I have toys everywhere. And a lot of them don't even need batteries. But that's a hopeless view. But that's the view people have without Christ. No Christ. There's a great monument in Ephesus. Diana of the Ephesians. Okay? Some, some translations call her Artemis. Okay? You know what she was the goddess of? Sex. Sex. And you're like, wow, man. All right. So the Ephesians worship sex. And then I found a picture of her statue. Oh, my God. It would make you want to be a monk. It is hideous. I mean, you just sit there and you go, that is the goddess of sex. Ugh. It's awful. It's black and it's got nipples all over it for everybody to nurse on. And it, it looks, you ever seen a, a dog when it has puppies? Bingo! Diana of the Ephesians. Okay? And there's just something about that that says, you know, I'm, I'm giving up sex. What if I look like that? But see, when you don't have Christ, you might as well go get this big black marble statue that looks like a dog that's given a couple of litters of pups. But you know what? That's all they had. History was going nowhere for them. No one to make it right. Christless, godless, hopeless. And you know what? One of the things that is disturbing to me today in this day and age, in this country, okay, in this country. See, the countries that I have been to, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Russia, those countries. They, they've always had Russian Orthodox, but they all know that they're wrong. And if you listen to some of their, uh, I talked to an, an Orthodox and he was explaining me some of their traditions. And then he looked at me and he says, none of this is in the Bible. I said, so somebody just made this stuff up? A guy that I knew in Tbilisi had just come from an Orthodox funeral of a lady who lived in his apartment building. And they found her dead in his apartment building. Okay? And I'll tell you how they do this. Okay? They find her dead in the apartment building. All right? Here's what they do. You guys are going to love lunch today. All right? They call the undertaker, and he brings a box. They put the body in the box. They set it on two chairs in the living room. And then everybody comes in and mourns. Okay, they pile up flowers. Everybody brings flowers to pile up at the bottom around the casket, the box. All right, four days. 
Okay, you know why they bring the flowers? So you don't smell what's going on. Okay, and the whole four days you get a group of women who will sit there and cry. Okay, after the four days, they take the body out and they set it out in the street. Okay, out there people come up and give their condolences and say good uh, eulogies and stuff like that. Okay. She's out there. That body was out there for three days. At seven days. All right. Then the hearse will come. And they pick up the casket. And they follow the hearse down the street until it's out of sight of where they live. Then they load it on there and they go get rid of the body. Okay. Then the drinking begins. Okay. You know why they start drinking? They're taught by their priest. All right. That seven days, God takes the spirit and shows the person heaven and hell. After that seven days, when they take the body away, they've got 40 days, the people who are alive, to pay penance to the church on their behalf so that they hope that that spirit goes to heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a racket. All right? And everybody who's under the influence of Russian Orthodoxy, they say, no, it's not right. Or the ones that believe Jesus Christ. Why? You die and you don't know whether you got enough relatives or friends to get your butt out of there? Okay, and especially if all of your friends are drinking. How's that going to help me? All right. There's a growing thing in this country. That I have run into. And it seems to be growing. I seem to be running into it more and more often. Okay, it doesn't matter what God you believe Because they are all accepted by Christ. Okay? I've heard evangelical scholars tell me that Gandhi is in heaven. He had great faith in the human spirit. And he believed that that human spirit was actually God. I heard people tell me that, what was her name? Mother Teresa. Is in heaven. Did you know that Mother Teresa sent a letter to the Vatican? Is it actually a dissertation? That Mary should be on the back side of the cross as co-redeemer with Jesus Christ? I'll give you a verse. You can keep this because you're going to run into this. I know you will because I've been running into it. Chapter 4, verse 12 of Acts. 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, I don't think you've got to be a theologian to understand what that said. There's no other way. For those who are separate from Christ... There is no other way. Okay? So they're separated from Christ. That makes them hopeless. They ain't got no history. They got nothing in front of them. Okay? So they come up with their own little ideas. Secondly, I call it stateless. They're stateless. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Okay? They are people without the rights of citizens. All right? You, you hear it today when we're talking about our immigration and all the rest of it, that we have all these people that don't have the rights of citizens. Well, let them become citizens. Okay? Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Okay? Listen, Israel, you've got to understand some things. Israel was chosen by God to be a nation. Okay? Not because of what they did or because they were so brilliant or they were so militarily smart or any of these other things. He just chose them. Okay? 
And he made it a theocracy. Now, you're going to hear a lot about theocracy. Okay, please understand it's a lie from the pit of hell. They will tell you that Iran is controlled by a theocracy. It is not. A theocracy says God controls it. All right? In Iran, they don't even let Allah control it. It is a dictatorship in the name of religion. But they call it a theocracy. It is not a theocracy. Israel is not a theocracy. All right? There is no theocracy on the planet Earth right now. They are run by kings. They are run by dictators. They are run by sovereigns. And all these other things that they want to throw at them. But a man is running the show. I mean, the Queen of England is considered the sovereign of England. She is considered the head of the Church of England. Okay? That is not a theocracy. That's a monarchy. Alright? But they throw these words out all the time, and, and they're not real. God had built a theocracy in Israel. God had built a nation of the twelve tribes that he picked out. Okay? That nation, even today, received his blessings. That's his people. That's his nation. It is a people who are a target for his special love. That's why when you look at the church, we're not Israel. But see, Israel is not called the bride of Christ. Israel is not called the body of Christ. The Gentiles were aliens. They were not in the commonwealth of Israel. They did not receive God's blessings. Okay? They were not a special target of his love. The Gentiles were aliens. They had, had they accepted the true God, they could enter into that place of blessing. That's why you had the court of the Gentiles in the temple. But until that time, they are stateless. I mean, you can have a nation, but you're still stateless. There are all kinds of nations. I think there's 168, something like that, I hear. I don't know. They change about every hour. But, you know, it's, it's just... But there's one nation that God made, and that's Israel. You have no community. You have no kingdom. You are outside of God's rule. I was cruising around in the Old Testament, because every once in a while I get lost. And I found something in the book of Isaiah that was really fascinating. Isaiah 63. It's amazing. Okay, there's a contrast that happens here early in chapter 63. The first six verses shows what God's belief towards the Gentiles are and the other nations. It's not a pleasant read. Okay? It's... Why is your apparel red, your garments like those who treads the winepress? You ever looked in the Old Testament what treading the winepress means? That's vengeance and wrath. Okay? But then Isaiah contrasted to God's kind of attitude towards Israel. Verse 7. I shall make mention of the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he granted them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindness. For he surely they are. He said, surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their savior. In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. Did you get that? Every time somebody picked on Israel, guess what? They were picking on God. You know that ain't going to come out good, right? And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them and he lifted them and carried them All the days of old. See, that's an attitude toward the nation of Israel that you don't see towards any other nation. None. 
He was their Savior. His unique relationship to Israel. And it's still intact. He's got them set aside. Don't get me wrong. Okay? Uh, he's, he's doing the church thing. I'm reaching the Gentiles. Okay? But understand, even today, Jews are being saved. And he's, he's set them aside. But you have to admit that His hand of protection is on them. Why do they still exist? I mean, I listen to people tell me about how persecuted I was and how persecuted... Go look at Israel. Gee, many crickets. Their entire existence has been persecution. Of course, now, I don't want to get too carried away with this. They rebelled. And I mean, he, he brought the Syrians in to punish them, the, the Persians to punish them. You just go down the list. He's, he, he, he fought against them. He fought against Israel. All right? But understand this. They're always under his special love. A theocracy that God ruled them. All right? And he even gave them a priesthood. A priesthood of men who could go between the people to God. I can take your pain, your suffering, and present it before our holy sovereign. A priesthood. He gave them blessings over and over and over. He gave them His law. Do these things and it will benefit you. Listen. Gentiles had no concept of this. None. They lived without God's rule. They lived without God's kingdom. You know what? Every one of us at one point in the same place. Without God's rule. Without God's blessing. Without God's kingdom. Aliens. Separate. I know in my life, as I look back, all the things that I missed, because I didn't have God. I didn't know God. I didn't really want God. I mean, I heard people talk about it before. I remember going to a church. I was trying to get a date. You never thought I'd do that, would you? And uh, it was my sister-in-law. She wasn't my sister-in-law at the time, but it was the church that her parents attended. So I went to that church. And uh, there I was with my ponytail and my attitude. And I was just sitting there taking this all in, talking to this girl, telling me, I wish this guy would shut up so I could get this conversation in. All of a sudden, he got into rock and roll and how evil rock and roll was and how long-haired the hippies and all of that. That's, that's awful. It's the devil in this. And they got a picture of Jesus up behind the pulpit with him a shoulder-length hair. And I'm sitting there going, yo, dude, when are we going to get on the kneelers? But it, I mean, he wanted everybody to bring their rock and roll albums in, and then they'd have a big fire. <laughs> yeah, not unless you give me cash. <laughs> then I'll just go buy some more. Okay, I know. Some people say, "What is an album?" <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but but I, I I I I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? At that time, I was separated. I had no idea. I had no concern about heaven or hell. And you know what? Every one of us in this room were in that position at one time. We did what was right in our own eyes. Okay? But last but not least, I'll cover today. Back to Ephesians. One that is so fascinating. I did a study on this a number of years ago. I'm not sure the evangelical church today has any concept. Okay, the third thing there, okay, separated from Christ and excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You're without Christ and stateless. Okay? But look at this next one. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Fascinating. Listen, without Jesus, you're Christless. You're stateless. You're not a part of God's economy. Okay, You're not a part of God's kingdom. You're not a part of God's world. You're not a part 
of the citizenship of heaven. And then he says this, you were strangers from the covenants of promise. Okay. Now, you need to understand something about covenant. Your Bible is divided into two major books, right? One is called the Old Testament and one is called the New Testament. You know what the word testament means? Covenants. You know what it is? Promises. Now then, ask yourself a simple question. Okay? Not deep theological or anything like that. Simple question. Can God break a promise? We just partook of the Lord's table. And this is the covenant in my blood. Okay? That means the promises of the New Testament are sealed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's kind of cool myself. Before Christ, you are a stranger to those promises. Okay? So what are these promises? Well, without getting into a 12-year dispensation on covenant... Okay, because there's a bunch of them. I want to kind of keep it simple for us in the in the name of salvation. Okay, there are a lot of covenants, a lot of promises in the Bible. Okay, there's one that you see every spring. The rainbow. That is God's noetic covenant. I will not judge by a global flood again. And I promise by putting a rainbow up. Okay, so you see, that's not the one I'm talking about. I ain't got nothing to do with salvation. That, that saved Noah's family. Okay? All right. In Genesis 12, I'm not going to get into detail. You find the one that you and I need to pay the biggest attention to. It's the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? That is the one that is overriding Everything. It is, uh, that is the big circle that deals with Israel. Okay? Now, you say, well, I thought we weren't Israel. Then go read Romans chapter 11. Because you have been grafted in to the holy root. Uh, you were a wild olive and you've been put into a domestic olive that is the root of Jesse. Okay? The root of Jesse, you know who that is, right? That's Jesus' lineage. Alright? Inside of this Abrahamic covenant. You've got to remember something about Abraham. He was a Gentile. Alright? And so you can go to that covenant and say, Look, Jew and Gentile will be together. Who's the father of the Jews? A Gentile. Alright? But that's the way God did it. Okay? Inside of that Abrahamic covenant... You run into the Davidic covenant. Okay, the Davidic covenant says that the eternal rule will come out of the what line? David. Okay. You can see the messianic covenant. The promise of a savior, a deliverer. All right. Theologians call it the Palestinian covenant. Okay. And everybody says, see, the Palestinian. It ain't got nothing to do with Palestinian. It has to do with the land. Okay. You got to understand something. Israel is the only one that's been promised land. Okay. I shared with you, you and I sit here as redeemed Gentiles, and we are now in the new covenant. Okay. Which is a new creation. What is it? It is the body of Christ. It's not a nation, it is the bride of Christ. All right. All of that. And others fit inside the Abrahamic covenant that God promised them to multiply them. He promised to save them. He promised to redeem them. He promised to give them a kingdom. He promised to give them land. He promised to give them a king. He promised them that he would cause them to rule. All of that is under the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, now if you think about it, those are kind of incredible promises. I don't care who you are. And I take it back to what I asked you. Can God break a promise? No. The only promise he could ever break, he's never given. What? 
<laughs> what did he just say? Okay. It's like nothing in creation can separate you from the love of God. So the only thing that can separate you from the love of God has never been created. What? <laughs> okay. See, you guys leave me alone too long and I, his brain goes in. Where is he going and why? Okay. Listen, what about the promise of heaven? Did you ever think about that? I promise you heaven. I mean, the complete absence of sin. Oh, I, my head goes, what? <laughs> you know, the only thing that's been created, the only thing that can separate me from the love of God ain't never been created. And the absence of sin. Okay. And you know what? I can guarantee you that none of you did anything to deserve one of these promises. Now then, remember this. The alienation apart from Christ. Gentiles were strangers to all of this. These three I just gave you. I got two more next week. Okay? They're strangers to it. You understand that? You know what that means? No concept, no understanding. They don't even have a principle to work off of. Go ask lost people what they think about heaven. You'll be shocked. Okay? Gentiles are all strangers. They had no promises from God. Did you know that? Before your salvation, you had no promises from God. None. Zero. Zip. Nada. You had no guarantees from God. Okay, if I got no promises and no guarantees, you know what? How's your security doing? That's why, brothers and sisters, we need to hang on to some of the stuff in the past to realize what it was we came from. Because I've seen people cling to the promises of God through some of the most heart-wrenching stuff I've ever seen in my life. And yet they got this goofy grin on their face. And you just sit there and go, wow, man. It's totally awesome. My mom had to bury two husbands. One of them, she was young, very young. Had two brat boys. (laughs) And she made it. And she had no idea why. I watched her bury my stepdad. And everybody started doing the psychobabble on everything like that. You know, she's just in denial. She just needs to take time and grieve uncontrollably and all the rest of it. And I was like, I don't think so. You guys might want to pay attention to her. She says this temporary separation is temporary. And I'll see him again. Okay. And people were saying, well, I, you, you, may, you may want to stay here with your mother. But I, I share these things because I watched her in the grief of losing two spouses. I saw the joy of the Lord. And it overwhelmed the grief. Incredible. Absolutely mind-numbingly incredible. But she clung to the promises. I remember a couple I prayed for. Uh, it's in my, in my mom's church. She says, I need you to pray about this. The guy left his wife for an old high school whatever. If it didn't work in high school, it ain't going to work now, dude. <laughs> Let me tell you. Anyway. I had the cutest little girl. She was about three and a half, four years old. And I mean, just ringlet hairs that you didn't have to make them ringlet. It just did it. And I just cute as a button. And he left his wife. Uh, they had come to church and it, that wasn't enough for him. And he knew that if he could sell some Coke, that he'd make a lot of money. And this girl was really, you know, whatever, going to fulfill his whatever. And. I get a call. It says, we want you to pray. I said, all right, I'll pray. And the lady that he left had approached my mom and then the pastor. And she, she says, I don't know a lot about the Bible. Now, I mean, she'd only been, they'd only been saved for about, I don't think it was quite six months. And he said, uh, 
I don't know a lot about that Bible, but I know this. And uh, my mom said, what's that? I said, God hates divorce. She said, that's all I really know. Can you pray that God would bring my husband back? So we began praying. And, you know, I'm just like everybody in this room. Well, that was a waste, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I tell you what. That thing went on for almost 18 months. And about the 11th month mark, I felt sorry for the guy. It was awful. He got arrested for selling coke and was looking at going to jail for that or his trial and all the rest of it. Of course, when that happened, his newfound love went to Florida. Okay. So in Ohio, to get a divorce, everybody has to show up at the courthouse. For the finalization of the papers. So they had a court date set for October. And this horrific ice storm hit. And everything was closed. They couldn't, they couldn't do the finalization of the divorce. And they had to reschedule for. Uh, they were going to set around Christmas time. And they realized that that wouldn't work. So they had to put it off to the first of the year. They put it off to the first of the year. They're getting ready to do it again. Both of you got to be there. Guess what? He's in jail getting ready to do time for cocaine. So he can't be there. So the divorce cannot be finalized. Okay. And I mean, that was just, it was one thing after another. And I was like, you poor bugger. <laughs> I don't know what you think you're doing. But there was probably 50 of us praying that God would restore that. Do you know that that guy right now is an elder in the church and his wife is now a leader of a women's Bible study? And they got a second kid. That's amazing to me. Because I got to be honest with you. I wasn't putting a lot of stock in this. But you know what? God makes promises. And I see a lot of this. People don't know. They don't know what it is. I had a friend tell me that prayer is firing the winning shot. I agree with that. I agree with that. But I'll show you two other. When you're alienated from Christ, there's no Christ. There's no state. You don't, have, you don't own it. There ain't no country. There ain't, you ain't a part of nothing. Okay? And you don't know the covenant promises. You don't know them. But do you know what those, you put all those together, guess what? You get hopelessness and godlessness. And I'll deal with those next week. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for the promises that you have made in your new covenant. Father, I thank you for the promises that you're fulfilling in your old covenant. And Father, we see your faithfulness through all things. Father, help us. Help us to draw deep to your word so we understand what you're doing. Father, let us understand that in this life we will have tribulations. But Father, you are faithful. You will strengthen us. You will guide us. You will love us even when we least expect it. Help us, King. Help us. Thank you that you placed us into the body of Christ before the foundations of the world. And that, Father, you are doing exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. May we be found faithful. May our love grow as we start seeing what it really means to be loved by the Most High God. May your peace overwhelm us, knowing that we now have peace with you. And Father, may that joy exude from each of us, that we may show the joy of the Lord is our strength. In Christ's name, amen.